millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello and welcome to podcast 130. I'm Dan Moylan. With me is Michael Normanson. Hello. And Daniel Chapman, the guy they call Moscowite. Hi. We are going to be going absolutely Frank Lampard bonkers. Bonkers, I tell you, in this episode of the podcast. With that in mind, just to quickly tell you that we've got the last couple of hundred magazines on sale at the playoff game versus Frank Lampard's Derby County. Playoff semi-final, second leg, couple of hundred left of issue 10. And um, you can read that and look back over a decade's worth of issues if you get yourself a digital sob. I don't think we played much against Frank Lampard during that sort of decade, did we? Because we were in the lower reaches. Yes, he claims to have been in the Premier League. I'm sure he's, for a lot of that time, he's just punting about in New York, not really doing much. On the bench for Man City as well. Those were his, uh, his major achievements while we were out of the Premier League. That's Frank Lampard we're talking about. And that is great value is £12 a year for the digital sub. And you can read all the magazines on the website or if you want to look at them, how they were laid out in the mag, you can download them and do that too. You can subscribe now at thesquareball.net. Well, we're going to be previewing the second leg of the playoff semi-final against Frank Lampard's Derby County in a bit. Once we've dealt with the first leg, score, as you know, on Saturday was Frank Lampard's Derby County nil, Leeds United 1, Kemar Roof with the only goal of the game after 55 minutes. Was that acceptable to you? Given that, two out of the three of us, me and you, Moscow, predicted a narrow victory in the last podcast. It was fine for me. I thought we might lose. (laughs) But then I've also come to the conclusion that this is part of the plan, that we do beat Derby. Only to lose at Wembley. So you're assuming an easy victory in the second leg then already? Well, mm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to think what would, be, what would cause maximum upset. Mm. And I feel a Wembley defeat would be worse than a defeat. Miles worse. Uh, yeah. On Wednesday. So that's what I'm going to go for. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I think, well, I mean, Wembley's Wembley's Wembley. It'll be, it's like putting Pat Bamford in front of a goal with a golden opportunity. Bielsa just shrugs. It's up to God and fate and destiny what happens now. Very much it'll be the same as going to Wembley. But, um, very happy with the, the first leg. I think half time, the fir- the end of the first quarter, I was thinking, this is all right. We're all right. Not conf- not cocky, not like oh, we're, you know, we're in the Premier League now, just we're not like we were against Ipswich. And that was my main, I think the main worry of uh, of everybody going into this game was, are we just going to be as we were against Ipswich? And by the, uh, the hooter for the end of quarter one or whatever it is that they ring, I was feeling, yeah, it was okay. We we weren't going to absolutely cock this up terribly. There was that feeling, wasn't there? I think, yeah, they had that initial sort of early burst, sort of the first, like, should we call it the first eighth of the yes. time? They had a good burst of the first eighth. And then um, once we settled down, yeah, my confidence really grew. And I thought, I think we've got this. All things being equal, we've got this. We've seen Derby twice already. I know 
Bielsa was kind of dismissing the significance of those earlier games. But I'm pretty sure now, having seen this game again, that our best is better than Derby County's best. They can't get to our level if we're playing well. So all we have to do is play well. And we did play well. I'll tell you what, let's get on to this kind of uh, looking forward aspect towards the back end of the podcast. It's hard because you can't separate the two games. However, let's have a look back over this game because there were plenty of stuff to get our teeth into, really. Red cards, non-violent headbutts, goals, um, all sorts of stuff. Injuries. So where should we start? The goal. Nice, wasn't it? Lovely. Very nice. Very nice. We've not, I don't feel like we've, I mean, the goal against Ipswich was quite good, but we couldn't properly appreciate it because it was as part of an overall negative I didn't realise, because you mentioned it on the last podcast, I didn't realise how good that goal was until I actually sat and watched it after we'd recorded and released the podcast. I went, bloody hell, it really was a good goal. What a great goal that was. And it was absolutely in tune with our plans of that build up at the back, quickly out to the wing, chip it to the byline, cross, and then our other fullbacks in the box. And this goal, uh, Harrison to Roof, in the Ipswich game, Ailing tried to play exactly the same pass from further back, he played it from about halfway and it sort of accidentally evaded a couple of Ipswich defenders and got through to Jack Clark. Lovely first touch, then he shot straight at the keeper and then Hernandez put the rebound straight at the keeper as well. But did it again against uh, Derby, Harrison from the other wing and Kemar Roof, beautiful finish and all the celebrations. And brilliant to have him back because he's going to be vital in the uh, second leg. He was making a big difference. That's mm-hmm. that's kind of... That sort of, of a the, run uh, is is very much his domain, whereas Bamford is, you don't feel he'd maybe make that move to the back post there. He'd be, he kind of likes to hang back a bit more. But I'm not, not that I'm using this as an excuse to bash Bamford. I just think they're different sorts of players. Yeah, we saw all through the game where Roof was just everywhere that was going to cause a problem, whereas Bamford never seems to assert himself in, in quite the same way. But he's going to bloody well have to. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. And what we were saying there about Harrison and using Roof as the example of the striker. They both did what our wingers and strikers have been failing to do running up to this game, and that was Harrison was made the right wise decision, played that early ball, which took out, was it five men? At least. If not more. And then uh, Roof just, just took it away. Perfect. It was a perfect goal. And the build-up as well, let's not knock, uh, I'll forget Stewie Dallas's little part in that, and he took a, a whack. Yeah, managed to, uh, it was, was it Ailing who backheeled it to him or Shackleson? I can't remember which. And then Dallas got two-footed and still managed to play a perfect Harrison, Harrison did it. Harrison did the give and go. Oh, of course it was Harrison. Yes. Harrison backheel. Dallas viciously assaulted, but still gets the ball back to Harrison to, to carry on the move and score. And it was just in a moment where, um, Derby were getting really fired up. There'd been two or three big tackles just before that as well, where um, they'd got the crowd kind of stoked up and Lampard turned to the crowd and started going like, yeah, give us some, give me some of that Matthew Arden stand noise. And when that tackle went in on... Uh, Chris Wilder. When that tackle went in on Dallas, you'd say, all the Derby fans like, yeah, we're really up for this now. We're going to hammer these. Oh, oh they've, he's played on and they've scored. That bloody referee... It was nice to silence the crowd and you felt that the atmosphere changed, didn't you, really, as we settled and started doing it. And as I think Phil Hay described it as a metronome once the metronome got ticking. I was going to say as well, credit to the um, the Leeds fan behind that goal who very openly celebrated and I assume had the shit kicked out of him <laughs> a few seconds afterwards. But nice to, see, uh, nice to see Leeds fans spread around the stadium and upsetting Derby fans. So let's look at, first of all, before we get to the penalty, the injury to Forshaw. Do you think that helped us? Yes. Massively. I feel like any praise of other players is criticising a player we had on the pitch, but Forshaw's instinct is to get it and spin around in little circles. 
Whereas Shackleton's is to just get forward straight away and look and look for a forward pass or run with it and just run into space. And yeah, it made a huge difference to us, I thought. And you could see the the downside of that because Dwayne Holmes, who they were playing behind David Nugent, who barely had a touch, but um, he started running straight through the middle where Foreshaw had been because Shackleton's motoring off up the pitch. So you could see where perhaps this has all been part of Bielsa's pre-match thinking is, oh, we've got to stop that guy running through because... Berardi and uh, Cooper running backwards with somebody fast running at them is not something, especially if Kiko Casillas behind them running in whatever direction he's decided <laughs> to run in. So that probably wouldn't have happened as much had Forshaw carried on. So there's checks and balances to all this, but Calvin Phillips was in the way, so it wasn't a problem. And uh, and what Shackleton gave us in terms of all the energy and just that forward thinking and the, the pace, because we don't have a lot of pace. And also that he's... Um, He's got the build um, and the skills of Lionel Messi. So it's it was win-win really having him on the pitch. <laughs> and Dallas and Berardi, I think two standout performances. I think that was probably Dallas's best performance for us under the circumstances. Yeah, definitely. I think I think I saw as well they had the most touches on the pitch and they didn't have a shot on target, which says everything really. It was a nice, well, on the face of it, it was a nice easy game for us, but you've got to give credit, I think, for con- the way we contained them. It was funny. I mean, they're missing uh, Waggy. Martin Waghorn's out maybe back for the second leg, but I had to check at one point. I went back and looked at the stats to see how many touches David Nugent had had because he's barely involved. And, he's in um, his 50s. But he's got that experience, that nous, you know, championship level. And you'd think he might be able to uh, to do something in the game, but he did absolutely nothing. They looked a lot better when they took him off. And fair play to Berardi as well for a great standing performance because you can't help but think, oh, Janssen's out. That's a bit of a blow, but I thought he was great. Brady's fine. I think he perfectly suits Bielsa's football, which I'm not sure many people would have said at the start of the season or when Bielsa was managing Argentina in the World Cup. You know what he needs, he needs a Catano Brady, but he just seems to get it, understands his job, the job suits him. He's not a central defender, but... And Dallas ain't a left back, so only had no. 50% of our back four is in its natural positions, which you didn't even blink an eyelid at. In fact, I probably didn't even notice it until long after the game, and you think, oh, that Bielsa is quite good, isn't he, really, what he does, what he gets out of players. He's all right. When you think of previous um, occasions we've played people out of position, and it's involved like Jason Pierce on the left wing and things, which just was openly comical. This is White at number 10 behind <laughs> the strikers. This just sort of is fine. It looks like, it looks like a normal football team. Nobody flinched about Berardi replacing Janssen, whereas probably even last season, if you said, yeah, Berardi's going to play centre-half, you'd think that was absolute madness, but everybody's become so attuned to it. It's like, oh, Janssen can't play. Oh, it's okay, Berardi will be there. Like, what? And then why why isn't he playing fullback? Because Stuart Dallas is there. Okay. Well, let's address the uh, the great big elephant in the corner of the room, the penalty, the not penalty. Was it a penalty? No. Was no. It, no? No. No, you don't think so? No. Hundred percent not. Never. About eighty percent not. You've seen them given because half the referees in this league are cheats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just it's a bit like we were talking about the other week with Grealish. If you start saying that that is a foul or a penalty, then the whole game just becomes people trying to just chuck a leg in front of someone who might be about to kick the ball. And it would be a different matter if he was if the derby player was ahead of Harrison and was about to receive the ball, but Harrison was in front of him and he sort of stuck his leg in front of him in a way that wasn't even going to get the ball. Well, let's break it down then. Let's do that. Let's break it down. Harrison's in front of him, mm-hmm. eyes only on the ball, makes an attempt for the ball, and the guy stuck his leg in front. That's not a foul, is it? I don't even think it's a foul for us. 
Jaden Bogle hasn't done much to Harrison. Harrison's done nothing to him. Just whatever it was, goal kick, if the ball just went out, I would have been happy with that. I don't think anybody would have blinked if nothing had come out of that incident. Probably Bogle would have turned to the referee and lines would go, and he would have said, no, nothing in it. But Do you not think he touched it? I think he touched the ball. I don't care. I just, it was I, Harrison. Yeah. Yeah, Harrison, he got the ball. He did, he kicked the, he touched, I said kicked, he touched the, Bogle's foot a little bit before he kicked it, but only because he'd stuck his leg in front of him in a way that wasn't in itself going to touch the ball. So so maybe it was a corner. It was nothing tackle. It shouldn't be a penalty. I thought it was good refereeing and fair play to him for going over and speaking to the liner as well. Never seen anything like it. <laughs> Shocking. He's supposed to be the boss on that pitch. I had absolutely no idea what that guy with the flag was there for. It's just disingenuous, isn't it? Did you see a few weeks ago that um, Australian referee doing his last match before he moves to the championship, mm-hmm. in fact, and they had his him mic'd up and they played the, the broadcast of it. And all through the game is he's talking to his officials going, could you see that, mate? And they're saying, yeah, I had a good view of that. That's no foul. Is that right? Crack on and play on. And the players are going, oh, why is that not a foul? I said, my mate's seen it. It's not a foul. And Chris, it's all it's Chris Wilder again. <laughs> and, it's all, and that conversation was going on between the three match officials constantly where they're just like, right, who saw that? I saw it. It's a foul. Or I didn't see it. And there was one where he uh, he blew for a, a decision and he says to his blinds, he's like, right, talk me through what you've seen because I don't know what I'm giving a foul for you. And it's just, that's how it works. They all, they see different views of the incidents. It, it's so almost when- like that's the idea of having people in different positions on the pitch, like one on each line and one in the middle to sort of bring it all together. Yeah, and sometimes it happens instantly. So there will have been all sorts of incidents all over that pitch where a decision was made because the linesman said something in the referee's ear. I was like, right, I know what to do here. Whereas on that one, he'd obviously made the referee, the penalty call and the linesman says, no, I, I don't think so. And because they're 20 yards from each other, he goes over to talk to him, whereas if it had been further away, but he said, right, just tell me him here. He did it on the um, the click headbutt. Headbutt. <sighs> Nuzzled his tummy with his, uh, with his wiry hair. Um, you see him, he puts his finger to his Bluetooth headset because he's not going to go over to the linesman because he's 100 yards away at that point. He says, right, tell me what happened. Okay, all right, I'll go book him. But just because he was right next to him, he went over to, to talk to him and Frank Lampard has um, shit himself. I mean, Frank Lampard has been a professional, well, in the professional game for over 20 years. And to claim that he's never seen a linesman overturn a decision is, well, it's, it's obviously bollocks, as has been pointed out. It happened against Leeds this season. Yes, five months ago. <laughs> So he's just, he's talking absolute bollocks and he's just, he can't handle the fact that the decision has gone against them and he isn't really able to say it was an unfair decision. So he's arguing that the process was wrong to have come to that decision. Human VAR. Human VAR. It's like, we haven't even got VAR in the champion, in the, in the Premier League even yet. How has he managed to go so far into the future? He's saying, oh, they, they did it like they used to do it in the old days. We You call it human VAR now, but that would be an anachronism, you see, because back then we didn't know what VAR was. Like when people talk about, uh, did you have black and white telly in the 1940s? Oh no, we just had television. Um, it's just absolute nonsense. And the whole thing with his fucking bullshit, like the referee is, is the boss on the pitch. That whole conversation that we're talking about with the linesman saying, uh, ref, I think, shut the fuck up. I'm the boss on this pitch. That's not how it works. That might be how he deals with Jody Morris, but that's because it's his own stupid fucking fault getting an assistant who is Jody fucking Morris. So I can imagine, Mr. Lampard, I think, I think we might need to make a subject. Shut the fuck up, Jody. It's, um, how, uh, Chilino used to deal with Dave Hockaday. <laughs> He'd kind of gone halfway there, though, didn't he, in, in that interview when he was saying, well, you know, you've seen him given sometimes and sometimes you haven't. You think, ah, you know, fair enough. But it felt like he almost had to, as you just sort of indicated there, 
justify it or, or, or take something contentious out of it rather than just saying, you know what? Yeah. Sometimes you get them, sometimes you don't. I understand it. And you know, fair enough. Yeah. It's clear that if it had gone the other way, he wouldn't have had any issue with it. with the alignment overall. And it wouldn't have even mentioned it. He would have just gone, no, they were right to do that. Move on. Next question. But as it was, he was like, well, I know, but mm, human VAR and bring it. The, the human VAR thing is bizarre because it's, it's only because it is present in everyone's mind that he thoughts are somehow liking it to that. It's not like anything. It's like football has been for the last, well, certainly several decades when referees assistants have had quite a big role in saying, in giving all sorts of decisions, red cards, free kicks, throw-ins, corners, all the sort of stuff that, you know, linesman, referees assistant have done for Frank Lampard's entire fucking career. And yet all of a sudden he's really confused by it happening. And the whole thing is about this, this concept that they, they were given something and then it was taken away. If they'd had that penalty and then you look at it, it shouldn't have been a penalty they would have had a penalty by cheating. So what's his aim in this? He's like, I want a penalty that we don't deserve. We don't do that over here. It's, it's all about the integrity of the game. Mate. When you start spinning out, Dad, I wrote my last Square Ball week on last week uh, about the way Bielsa has been dealing with all this stuff with Spygate, with the Aston Villa giving them a Bielsa goal. Um, and now with this, his calm kind of rational reflections on everything just exposes how spun out most of English football is about Sky's narrative as well. Yeah. Yeah. If you, cause when you just sit and you, you listen to Frank Lampard tying himself in knots about this. And when you sort of break it down, it's like, so you wanted this penalty by cheating. You deserved a penalty that wasn't a penalty. We take it to this logical conclusion and he's kind of, he's found this way of forcing English football to face these logical conclusions of what it's doing. And then you realize everybody is just full of shit apart from, Keith Andrews, who called it right, but he'd only made the terrible decision of wearing like a, a burgundy smoking jacket um, for their coverage. Which I'm, Stay stand I'm up guy. Sure what it was about? Keith Andrews, stand up guy. Really like what he had to say on the matter. But actually, bringing Bielsa into this, you just know had the shoe been on the other foot, how he would have handled that in the post match and said they have a difficult decision to make, and they made a decision. Doesn't criticise referees apart from when he used to call their mothers whores on a regular basis in the early nineties in Argentina, but. Who says he can't culturally adapt? And the beautiful thing about football is you can ignore all the stuff that doesn't feed into what you believe and you can just go for all the other stuff instead, which we'll do right now and talk about the red cards. Click, should he have gone? No. Tamori, should he have gone for his t- uh, challenge and Shackleton? Yes. Yes. And Huddleston for his elbow and Dallas? Twice. Yes. Two red cards. <laughs> now, the, the Klitsch one, I mean, it's one of those that he's, not, he's obviously not hurt him at all, but people do always get sent off for that. If you compare the, um, the move of Click's head to the way that Tamori was then miming the move as they, as him and Richard Keogh ran around the pitch after the referee. Richard Keogh said later... <laughs> we um, don't surround referees here, not in this country. He just, and his his defence of the referee on the penalty instant amounted to him, he started windmilling at ghosts. He started trying to punch people who weren't there. It was crazy. And it got to the point where the referee is like, you need to calm down, I'm all right here. But then him and Tamori were doing the same thing. They were pretending to headbutt ghosts. I mean, they were saying... It's, it's like Zidane in the World Cup. I mean, Click is very much like Zidane in a lot of ways. It was nowhere near. It was just... It was closer to what um, Alioski did to Hernandez. Yeah. When he sort of, yeah, I don't know, did he bite his stomach a bit? Or it's hard to say what he was actually planning on doing, trying to suck his belly button or something. I love nibble. Mm. And it was a, it was very much kind of a, I hate the moment, as he's getting up, he's like, oh, this dickhead's standing over me. I'm just going to kind of lunge in his direction and move him away from me. It wasn't, I'm going to go in with my head and hurt him, which is what the Huddleston on Dallas thing was, which was much more, right, the ball has gone, 
I'm going to lift my arm up and get it across this guy's face, which was absolutely fine. I can't remember the name of the guy who did it, but it was a Leicester City player, did it when they were playing against Leeds. He uh, completely washing lined Luke Varney in pretty much exactly identical circumstances. And it was wonderful. I made, <laughs> I made a gif of it. I used to watch that frequently. I just wish I could remember the, the name of the guy who did it to him. But this on uh, Dallas was just, the, you can see the moment where he goes, all right, ball's gone. I'm going to smash him. Whether well, there wasn't any of that in uh, Click on Tamori. And you might be able to get away with uh, Tamori's challenge on Shackleton because I don't think there was a, an element of with him of going like, right, I'm going to snap this little kid's legs. It was just, I'm going to fly at this ball out of control, which if you connect, you're off. If you don't connect, you're an idiot for trying it. Interesting to note in Monday's press conference, nice little sign off for what was a deserved victory, let's face it. Uh, Bielsa said, you've heard that my teams usually arrive at this point of the season tired from a physical and mental point of view. In the game against Derby, it was the game where we ran most in the whole season, which is again, logic and facts. I'm sure Lampard already knew that from his analysis. Yeah, we run too. We run too. Uh, Quick word, if we could please, about the other game, 2-1 win for Villa. Leaves it very much in the balance, do you reckon? Villa, as far as I can tell, cheated to win this one. Um, Hurahanu should have been banned scored the equaliser and then Grealish dives typically to win a penalty. Well, not according to the FA independent panel who viewed it today and said, nope. The thing is, I've seen Grealish running a few times and he he doesn't normally seem afflicted with like a a lazy leg that drags along. I mean, his left leg, it's amazing he's managed to forge a professional career with 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 this disability hampering him. But the way, I don't know, some childhood illness maybe. I think think it gets heavier the nearer he gets to the penalty spot. Yeah, sort of dragging it along the floor as he's running. It's a very specific subset of um, the Midlands uh, Triple L syndrome, lazy left leg syndrome. Ah, okay. Okay. Is it about vitamin D deficiency or something in the, in the womb? I think we do have to kind of perhaps hope that, uh, oh, it's hard to tell. Who do we want to go through? Because if it's Aston Villa, us. Assume, well, I really us want, first. I really want us to go through and then we'll work on the rest of it after that. If it is Aston Villa though, that's going to be the big Bielsa goal matchup for the ages. And it's going to have all that Horahain, Grealish kind of versus click. Bamford will be playing all that stuff all come back West Brom though they were playing against Filler exactly the way they were playing against us that sitting back really fast on the break and their goal that they scored from a it was Glenn Whelan basically passed the ball straight to them in my mind I was watching that and I was thinking that's Liam Cooper just giving the ball straight to uh, to them and it just going in but then Dwight Gale being sent off and missing the final and uh, Hal robson Carnu is suspended as well violent conduct on the last day so I think he I'm pretty sure he misses the final as well without Dwight Gale are they any good? I'd much much rather play West Brom in the final particularly without Dwight Gale but we're not there yet so let's just calm the fuck down now. <laughs> and also when we are there and when we've hammered Villa 4-0 and Jack Grealish is crying and Brady is standing over him <laughs> If we do get to the final, whether we beat Villa or lose to them, I hope someone does badly injure Jack Grealish. <laughs> More Frank Lampard for you in a bit, but this week on the Extra Ball, our other podcast that goes with this one, it's kind of a theme that plays into the whole uh, Lampard narrative anyway. Rivalries, new or imagined or even old ones. Question from Darren. What's the most spurious reason we can use to instigate a new poisonous rivalry? I mean, poisonous rivalries we do quite well. It's one of our fortes as a club, isn't it? Um, if you fancy supporting this podcast, please do subscribe to The Extra Ball. Try it out for free for a month and you can hear us answering questions like Darren's playing a board game, doing loads of stuff. We're going to be looking at Michael Dubery's post-football career in, in a few weeks when we get a chance to sit down and properly analyse that. It's going to be sensational. And you will find that at thesquareball.net forward slash The Extra Ball. Who would have thought 12 months ago, Paul Heckin bottom at the wheel 
that right now we'd be talking about Costa Coffee, that Costa Coffee would have played such a prominent role in our lives as Leeds fans this year. Marcelo Bielsa and you, Moscow, when you were in Knotsford, sat down and you saw Paul Butler. I would like to stress that the only other coffee shop in Knotsford is pretty poor. So that's why I was in Costa. If I was in Leeds, for example, I might have gone to Lane's. That's a nice nod. They're, they're Leeds fans. We've got to support our local businesses. You've taken on promotions and not sharing the not sharing the revenue with the rest of us. Yeah. Not yet, but I'll be down there soon. We know what's happening here. And uh, yeah, Paul Butler was there, being a little bit large, loud, leery. Well, exactly. And you wouldn't get that in a nice local independent establishment, like for example, Lane's Espresso <laughs> on uh, New, Station, New Station Street, uh, Leeds, Alice One, near the station. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely don't have a commercial arrangement in that just- Popped into my mind, Yet. but yep, I'll be down there. See you soon, Dave. Uh, but this led us on to posing the question, who have you seen and where? Coffee shops or elsewhere? Who have we got? Uh, Jerry McNamee, for, he actually said, for your seen Paul Butler thing, which I quite liked. <laughs> it's kind of what it is. He, he's kind of a high roller. He plays seven aside with Julian Joachim and Steve Guppy. I'd like to think of the circumstances in which they're still playing uh, seven aside together, but they both said Kevin Blackwell wasn't a very nice man. Tosser was the term. I bet that's a good team. I don't know what Jerry's like, but yeah, it's a strong it's a strong start if you've got two ex-pros in it. I'd imagine he's the star. <laughs> Maybe even the captain. Um, Mike Sim 9, I uh, don't know if he plays seven aside with anybody, but in February, uh, he saw Luke Ayling in the Marks and Spencer Food Hall in Weatherby. He bought corn on the cob and green beans. And crucially, this is important information, he had his hair up. We did see some moments of him in the, the derby game with his oh, you know, beautiful looks. It's like a Timothy ad, wasn't it? I was imagining a waterfall coming down him. Because you're worth it or whatever it was, you know. But he kept that all, uh, he kept it all in a bun while he was in Marks and Sparks and he was chatting to the lady on the checkout and being generally very friendly. Didn't throw cups of piss at anybody. (laughs) That wasn't him. He just stood next to somebody while they threw cups of piss off a balcony. I could imagine um, Luke Ailey maybe working on a deli counter with a nice hairnet on. It's very amiable, isn't he? You know, (laughs) talking to the women who come in. Can I have a... Some slices of salami, please. Yeah, here you go. I see him more as one of the, um, you know, those sort of trailers that go around a butcher's trailer at a market. Can you imagine one of them with his chirpy... Street, ah, oh, street food, his yeah. His chirpy voice over a mic, mic'd up like a sort of shit Madonna type person with it saying, 50 steaks for a pound, that sort of a thing that goes on. I, th- I think he's street food. I think you need to up it. I think you're, you're doing him a disservice there. With a sort of ponytail and his sort of stylings. I think he'd, he'd be there, yeah. Out of back of maybe like a camper van or whatever that's been modified and he drives around the country selling, you know, boutique fucking sausages. Pancakes. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah, it's that sort of thing. Tacos, maybe it's tacos or something. He'll have a taco wagon. Yeah, that's the one. Taco wagon. You could call it Taco Bill. Yes, very good. Taco Bill, yep. I like that. Excellent. Speaking right, I'm, of, I'm done now. That's it you spent, aren't <laughs> yeah, you? Yeah, So right. for you. Off the lanes? Good luck. Yes, I am. <laughs> I've got a business idea for them. And speaking of food, we had Joe Dent at Joe Dent 1 get in touch saying he just bumped into Tom Pierce at Greg's at Thorpe Park, which famously is, is that just down the road from um, Thorpe Arch or are we talking the theme park? I think it's that random business park off the M1 actually. Yeah, it's where our new stadium was supposed to be under Ridsdale. It's that, that out that kind of way, Skelton Grange. We skipped pleasantries, he says, says Joe. He ordered a sausage bean and cheese melt before dipping into his Land Rover, whilst I waited for my southern fried chicken baguette to be heated. And he's hashtagged that with, don't judge me, hashtag LUFC. Got a Land Rover. Well, he maybe lives in, on a farm. Don't know, Tom Pierce, he could be a rural location. Can see him like a, like Vera going a, around the um, the dirt tracks of the northeast, solving crimes. Do you think he meant maybe a Range Rover? No, I mean, uh, wasn't uh, Saez chipping around in a white Land Rover and he was ours? So maybe 
he sold it to Tom Pierce. Couldn't take it with him. <laughs> El Hadji Juf, gold-plated one, maybe. You see, Land Rovers are very popular amongst the farming community and footballers. Any thoughts on the sausage bean and cheese melt? I mean, it's no Taco Bill. We've had developments with the Godrod, which we'll get onto in just a bit. The blasphemy baton. First of all, let's deal with injuries uh, from the game against Frank Lampard's Derby County. You know, Derby, Frank Lampard, mm-hmm. they, they do injuries too. <laughs> no one does them like us. No. It was almost... I wasn't expecting this from Bielsa's press conference uh, before the the second leg. I thought it just didn't occur to me that he was going to sit there and say that Kim Arif is injured and out of the second leg until he said it. And I thought, oh, fucking of course. <laughs> Why was I expecting anything Well, else? at least Roberts might be back. Nope. No. Hey, with Kamar Roof and putting Patrick Bamford in, as much as there's been a little bit of a probably hysterical reaction to the idea of putting in our most expensive player we've signed for quite some time and one of our top scorers... It's that he presents a different proposition for Derby to deal with in the return like on Wednesday, whereas they might just be thinking, oh, well, we know what Roof does. We know how to counteract that, but Bamford, I think, just offers that something a bit different. There is something in that, like Lampard has had three games to finally, he might have got home on the Saturday night. It's like, right, finally worked it out. I know what to do with Kimar Roof. And then he sees this today, whereas probably Jody Morris will be ringing you up saying, great news, boss. That fucking isn't. I was going to nullify him. <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> nullify. Yes, right. <laughs> and now we won't know what to do with Pat Bamford. Although maybe he will because similar privileged upbringings. And Forshaw ruled out for the final. Is that right? I, I hadn't... Yeah, he's kind of said that he's not going to be fit again this season. So. Yeah, him, Alioski and Roberts are pretty much just, yeah. So we weirdly said Alioski was getting closer, which I don't know if he's going to make some triumphant <laughs> shithousing return in the final, which would be... Does Wembley have a tunnel he can shake? Say, it's concrete, isn't it? I'm sure we'll have a go at it. I told you I was there on the tour the other week that maybe they'll put a special steel reinforcement in for him. Maybe he'll be there, they'll just he'll have to watch the game from inside a cage. <laughs> it's for his own protection and everybody else's. The clip of it this week was particularly pleasing, the way Lamrani has to sort of take him away, like a, an adult taking a child away from doing something stupid. Like, did you hear what This our, way, come on. Did you hear what our staff member said to one of the stewards as he walked past? You can just hear it if you turn the volume, he just goes, yeah, he's not right in the head, him. <laughs> <laughs> do you think? Well, uh, Janssen could well be fit. Uh, do we hope, think, or would you be happy to see Berardi in there? Fine with Berardi, really. I think you'd probably stick with it and give Janssen a chance, for, better chance of making the final as well. It seemed to work fine the other night. If Wycombe plays for them, maybe that changes things a bit, I'm not mm. sure. Hey, speaking of Lamrani, we've now got a comprehensive update listing of uh, of all the nicknames he's given to the various players on Twitter. Which was immediately out of date. We've been updating it since it was sent to us. And our thanks to Lars underscore LUFC on Twitter, who was kind enough to put this together for us. What do we have then, Moscow? Well, we had we had his list, and then since then, over the weekend, there were three editions up until nearly print our prep sheet time, and we had to rapidly get one in under the radar. Leaf Davis was uh, was blessed about five minutes before we came in to do this. I think without naming the players, we currently have now from the brain of uh, Salim Ramrani, we have somebody called the Brain. Then we have the example, the lion, the warrior, the warrior, the pitbull, the unbeatable, the sniper, the generous, the arrow, the talent, the strong, the fighter, el gato, the, uh, oh, not the only one in Spanish, the brave, Usain Bolt, which fucks with the form, el professor, and then the lightning, the tornado, the wave and the rockets have all been dubbed since Saturday. How do we keep up with this man? How does he keep up? Is Leaf the Rocket Davis, is that a salad pun? (laughs) 
It feels like it, yeah. <laughs> I'm quite confused by Jack the Wave Clark. A middle class mm. salad pond. <laughs> yeah, the wave. Mm. Waves of nausea. <laughs> As he sits on the bench at Middlesbrough. When you're comparing Pontus Janssen to any, I mean, he's he's quick, but is he Usain Bolt quick? It was in he's... relation to a particular clip, wasn't it? That I seem to remember. Was he, he chasing after Bailey Peacock Farrell? <laughs> you, you listen to me, you impudent child. So the talent was uh, Samu Saez. How do you feel about that one now on reflection? Still talented, just not, not here. For us. <laughs> I, I don't know who who gets to keep the warrior because there's um, Baradi and Roof have both been. The warrior, but then I think Berardi's been the lion since, hasn't he? So does that? Yeah, does that I think take the lion over? suits him better. I think he was the warrior, but then it was uh, he became the lion after he lifted Lamrani and the other guy up with one hand each. <laughs> after the um, it was the Blackburn goal, and it wasn't just uh, that he went out Gatano the lion Berardi with a couple of emojis. He does now. It was he lifted me up with one hand. I am now calling him the lion. And Stewart's the generous Dallas is a little perplexing as well. In what sense? Like, has he been lending Lamrani money or giving it to him? Protection racket, maybe? Enforced by Berardi, who knows? There's a little bit of a weather theme going on with Matthias the Lightning Click, uh, Jamie the Tornado, Shackleton, and Jack the Wave Clark. It sounds like some nasty offshore events have been going on there. It is possibly. It's like the worst kind of gang of 1930s mobsters <laughs> that you could possibly assemble. Who's going to rob the bank? Well, not Stuart the generous Dallas. I'm going to send in the strong... Pat Bamford, the strong Pat Bamford. I mean, Lamrani is a very good translator. I think he needs to go to his dictionary. He needs to look up the word ponce and then rethink. He he reset Berardi. Be nice about the strong. Uh, What is it? The strong. The the strong. That's how much I've got them tattooed on my brain. We had some intel about the strong, didn't we? From uh, Will Clay 26 on the old Twitter said... uh, he did some uh, confirmatory tweeting to say that Lord Patrick went to our local posh school, Nottingham Boys High. Uh, his dad's mate used to work at the place whilst Bamford was a kid. I did look up the fees just out of interest. Are you thinking uh, of sending your kids there? Um, on Twin reflection, boys. probably not. I, I worked out if to put young Patrick through a full education, they will have cost around £150,000. I mean, he's, he's a very nice young man. Yeah, true, um, true. Are your, are, your boys, are your boys nice enough for that? Because you'd have to pay double for that. I think, on reflection, uh, the school they go to is is perfectly adequate. <laughs> <laughs> it does possibly explain why um, Liam Cooper was talking about Bamford's unbelievable, astonishing confidence or something. He's, I think it's weird confidence. Weird, he's got this weird, unbelievable confidence or something he said this week. So, yes, that's, that's what privilege does for people. <laughs> <laughs> he seems to think he can do anything. You're absolutely certain that the nanny is going to be there to pick him up at the end of every training session. <laughs> it's not. It's not Patrick's fault, is it? You know, he just he was sent there. As long as they've taught him to score goals, that's all that matters. I did like that when you opened the the website. Actually, the opening picture is um, a child with a violin, which is quite nice. Beautiful. Well, we're already signing his replacement, are we, from Barcelona B, home of Luciano Becchio, one of your favourites, Moscow. Mm-hmm. This guy we're being reported. Apparently, we've got a deal in place, so say Spanish newspaper Marca Rafa Mujica. I presume, I presume it's pronounced like that. Well, I'm sure we can have some fun with that if we do sign him anyway. He's the best player in the world anyway. I've seen a, uh, there's a video of him on YouTube called mm-hmm. Best Goals and Skills. Not just any goals and skills, best ones. The best ones. I mean, wow. there's only there's only three, but... There, there might be the top some three. Of the, some of the best I've seen. Well, they don't give out four medals in the Olympics, do they? Gold, silver, bronze, three. Very true, very true. Um, and one of them is against Leicester, so he can do it in English football. That's confirmed. Who was he playing for against Leicester? Or was Barcelona, it, against it was some pre-season thing. Oh, okay. 
But yeah, the first goal on it is amazing, actually. It's worth it's worth looking at just for that. Ah, who knows? I mean, Becchio's pre-signing video was him playing for, was it Merida who he was mm. playing for? Um, and he scored a superb volley to win them promotion in the playoffs, I think. And when the ball hit the back of the net, everybody in the stand on which the camera is fixed, throws white cushions in the air and onto the pitch. And there's like a massive ticker tape parade and people come running on and basically lift him in the air. And you looking at him then, I thought, I'll have that guy. And not wrong. So if if all our uh, players from Barcelona B, Becchio was, was a, a peer of Lionel Messi in the Barcelona B team. Um, and I, I think we got the right one. And I'm sure we'll have, uh, we'll have got the best player out of them again now. Did anybody else have a slight sinking of the heart when you saw that Dan James was, uh, was supposed to be joining Man United for 15 million. Oh, it might not be, it turns out. Somebody poo-pooed it. You see that? The response tweet saying, no, it's, it's just a lot of bollocks. It is transfer season, isn't it, for agents? Even if he's, even if Dan James is still sat there desperately wanting to go to Leeds, his agent's probably going, get another 10 grand out of him now. You can, e- you can We can easily bump that contract up. If he's stupid enough to look at that club under that manager in front of those fans with those players... And those, oh, those owners... I think, oh yeah, I really want to be in a team with Phil Jones next season. That's that's what gets me going. Then fine. I hope he has a, a happy time there following in. Uh, he's not actually Welsh, is he? So he won't be following in Ryan Giggs. From Beverly, I think. That's part of the, the thing because he's in the Welsh setup that people think, oh, Ryan Giggs has been in his ear. I wouldn't be surprised because the other rumour is about him going to Everton in a double deal with Matt Grimes. And it is a theme. This is where the Leeds paranoia comes in. But I go back to... 1992 when we're going for the title against Manchester United and uh, certain uh, Manchester-based people with connections to journalists started planting stories allegedly about Rangers buying Gary McAllister for £3 million. You do always seem to get these these stories milling around Leeds United. Nobody's trying to sign there. Where are the bids going in for the Derby own any of their good players? Harry Wilson. Harry Wilson might be going back to Liverpool next season. That's what we should do. We should be planting a story in the papers about that tomorrow. Although there is uh, Frank Lampard to Brighton, because apparently he's on their shortlist. What, with his extensive managerial uh, successful career? I mean, to go from Chris Hooten, safe pair of hands, he's got promotion, experience, kept them in the Premier League. Might not be glad, he might not be working out very well, maybe a change is needed, but then to go, Frank Frank Lampard's famous. <laughs> get him. In fairness, he might yet get a promotion this season, you don't know, do you? Yeah, he won't. <laughs> Ooh. Even if they beat us, they're not beating Villa or West Brom or anybody. They're not beating us. Speaking of uh, of Derby, we've had a bit of more of a fallout. Sorry, speaking of Frank Lampard's Derby County, we've had even more of a fallout, haven't we? This is uh, Radrizzani did a big pre-semifinals interview with the Times. The main takeaway really was, well, the headline was about him falling out with Derby's chairman, Mel Morris, who he thought he, they thought they could become friends who were going to reform the Football League together. And because of that strong relationship that they were building, Mel apparently said to him, said, it's all right, I'm not going to report you over Spygate. And then reported Leeds over Spygate and there was all the other clubs writing. And so he basically says, I can't trust him, so I'm never going to speak to him or play with him ever again. <laughs> the more interesting stuff is maybe there's more about um, Marcelo Bielsa, which isn't as solid as saying he is definitely staying, but uh, Radrizzani does say, every time I've spoken to Marcelo, he's expressed his intention to continue with the job, whatever happened, and he's already started uh, working on um, next season. And Radrizzani's own uh, future is, again, kind of more of what he's, he's said before, that he can't really do much with us in the championship. But uh, 
If we get promoted to the Premier League, I have access to international partners and commercial opportunities that could transform the club. I don't think we'll be in the Championship for long. If we're not successful this year, we will be next year. We have a great manager and a good young team. Didn't mention which player he'll sell. <laughs> Didn't get around to that. No more poxy trips to Burma. We're going big. We're going Saudi. No, I mean, in fairness, we're hanging around with Italian fascists now, so uh, they're our fans, but we should probably skirt skillfully around that before we start getting into politics on this podcast. It, it was a slightly uh, unfortunate tweet, which lots of tweets are. Um, <laughs> yeah, Radrizzani idly, hopefully idly, retweeted a photo of Matteo Salvini, the Deputy Prime Minister of Italy, who was holding a lead scarf and saying, uh, you're welcome at Elland Road anytime which meant immediately we all have to go and Google Matteo Salvini. It's like, please be a good guy. Please be a good guy. Please be a good guy. No. Anti-immigration, opposes same-sex marriage, uh, supports loose gun laws, endorsed Trump, founding member of uh, the far-right populist group led by Steve Bannon. Basically, politically quite far away from the welcoming, um, inclusive image that the club recently since about 1988 has liked to present. Radrizzani did quickly, he re- he replied to uh, some of the people saying, this guy, there was a lot, of, it was that kind of note, it's like, oh, don't bring this guy. And he said, why are you bringing politics into everything? I'm just happy to see somebody who's notable in Italy uh, supporting Leeds. And it's like, well, it was a little bit like the Myanmar trip. We have to bring politics into it because it, he is a politician and we didn't bring him into this. You you brought him into this. So it's it's a political thing. And then he, he deleted the tweet. And um, we don't know what Radrizzani's politics are and that it can be whatever he, he wants them to be. Um, this did have the, the feeling more of him just going like, oh, oh, famous politician with a lead scarf. It'll be like, this is my Vern Troyer moment. He's drawn towards power, I think, as much as anything, isn't he? Power and status is the is the circles that he operates in. I was just going to say, actually, funnily enough, that you've just actually taken the wind out of my sails for the Vern Troyer joke I was going to make in the same sense that when we invited Vern Troyer along, that automatically made us about Hollywood. But you, you fucked it. <laughs> Whereas this makes us about Mussolini. <laughs> I think the thing is as well with him, he does, he is a bit too active on Twitter sometimes and it's a bit like when it was I think it was Trump retweeted a picture of Rose and Fred West because someone said to him please retweet in memory of my parents who are great fans of yours or something and you know maybe maybe he just didn't look properly though uh, being an Italian you would think he might know that this guy was a bit of a fascist earlier on Sunday he had uh, tweeted some photos from the half marathon which he looked like he'd been about and he, he posed in front of the uh, United We Stand mural that um, East Street Arts organised by, oh, it's a French guy painted it. I can't remember his name now. And he's posing in front of that with his shades on. It's obviously like, hey, we've beaten Derby. I'm in a good mood. I'm going to go on Twitter and generate good feeling with the fans. And then I don't know if you'd had a couple of glasses of wine during the rest of the day. He's like, oh yeah, that politician guy. Great. Retweet. It's a bit more racist when he's drunk. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Absolutely not. Grand- sure. Granddad, is that you? <laughs> I'm sure. Him uh, and Chris Wilder. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Chris, you're dead right about Pat Bamford. Quick postscript to the Blasphemy Baton, which if you are a new listener, let me try and do this in as quick and as pain-free a manner as possible because it's getting quite laboured now. Basically, we played Stoke in January. Nathan Jones, Stoke's manager, heavily religious, uh, often leaned on the power of God to account for his successes. And we wondered, did God exist? And Stoke's victory meant that he did. And it's been passed on through victories with other clubs uh, down the line and finished up at Forest at the end of the season, who, who defeated Bolton. And now look at them. They didn't just defeat them, they smoked them. They have been smoked. 
I mean, if you really are going to fall out of God's favour, that's the right way to do it. So they're going to be starting off next season minus 12, not minus 15. I think that we got the Bates penalty, didn't we? Which was on reflection, fair enough. We were lucky to get away with 15. I think this reminds me uh, very much of Numbers 22. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself under the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. And he smote her again. What is Ken Anderson, the chairman of Bolton, if not an ass? And what has he been, if not smote against a wall? What is um, smiting, smoting? What's that? Um, well, this this ass in particular was smote with a staff. Hang on a second. Isn't a staff a stick? Pretty much. Or, or a, a god rod or a blasphemy baton. A baton, one one might say. And uh, yes, smoting the ass with the staff. And the Lord opened the mouth of the ass and said unto Balaam, <laughs> What have I done unto thee that thou hast smitten me these three times? And Balaam said unto the ass, Because thou hast mocked me. I would there were a sword in mine hand, for now would I kill thee. And the ass said unto Balaam, Am not I thine ass upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine <laughs> unto this day? Was I ever want to do so unto thee? And he said, nay. And I think that's all to do because he didn't have a, a sword and he only had a stick. So instead of killing him with a, killing the ass with a sword, he had to just hit him with a stick. So he smote him with a baton. Well, I think that clears things up. I can see why it's um, not that popular anymore, the old religion. It's very difficult to read and follow. A lot of ass talk. A lot of <laughs> ass talk. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, could be the last game of the season coming up on Wednesday. You've, if, assured, you've assured me it's not. If Frank Lampard gets his way, we will be previewing that game against Frank Lampard's Derby County in just a bit. Uh, after we've dealt with heroes and villains um, from a week in which we played Frank Lampard's Derby County. Before we get to that, a quick update on Krista Ackroyd, if we may. She okay? Uh, I think so. She uh, upset? <laughs> her lawyers have been very reasonable about the whole last podcast affair. Uh, so do you want to tell us the story then, Michael? You know when you get a message and your heart sinks ever so slightly and you think, oh, am I, actually, am I in proper trouble here or is this going to be fine? Um, I got a message on Facebook saying um, my mother would like to know when she can collect her award. <laughs> Turns out her son is a, a big fan of the podcast and, and <laughs> listens. Um, so sorry about that. <laughs> and Moscow, what were you saying about attacks? 
I mean, she was the victim of uh, HMRC uh, riding roughshod over um, how creative workers are paid. There's there's a lot of um, legal opinion that says that she was made an unfair example of because... Uh, that wasn't your opinion last week, though, was it? I don't think I said anything <laughs> about it last week. I, I, because it, it, I, no, in fairness, it was just slating a newspaper column. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was it, yeah. It's yeah. not a tax. It's her a, it's, it's a opinions that I have a, a, a problem with. <laughs> And we're all entitled to our opinion. That's the important thing is we respect one another's opinions. I mean, we gave her an award for it. We did. And we need to award that award again to somebody now, the Ken Bates Villainy Award. Whilst we deal with heroes and villains, first up is the Ken Bates Villainy Award. Ken always gets a nomination. We've been struggling for reasons why. Uh, what's he been doing this time? I say, You say that he probably, because Ken Anderson, Bolton's chairman, lives in Monaco as well. And they probably sit out on the terrace together got no evidence for this, comparing <laughs> notes about ruining football teams. Just giggling. Yeah. Cackling, like, cackling. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I've got him. I've got him, Ken. Well done, Ken. Good job, Ken. Love you, Ken. This time around, is, uh, Ben Finch has nominated him. It's not not entirely Ken Bates' fault, but he does do a pub quiz and there's a team, some pricks team name is how he describes it, is Sir Kenneth Bates. So he lives on in a pub quiz, which I believe is somewhere in West Yorkshire still. So mm-hmm. Huddersfield fans, I would imagine. Right, yes. Yeah, so I mean, he's going to be triggered every week. There isn't he? An upset. The, the trauma pouring back. Sailor Fabian Delft cladding on the east stand, putting those executive boxes in week after week after week. Nobody needs that. I mean, it's, we do it, but he doesn't need it there. That's all I'm saying. Let's move on. Who else are we going to put in? Are we going to put in Frank Lampard from Frank Lampard's Derby County? Yes. For what specifically? Because he's kind of been quite a figure of fun, hasn't he? Because he's a big crying crier boot cries all the time no he loves that he loves the banter he hates that song he clearly hates that fucking song oh no it's fine by me because he had to get that dig back as well didn't he where it's like oh yeah that song's fine by me but you know I was in the Premier League when they were singing that just shut up and the, the can we nominate the Derby fans as well for singing that song about uh, he's Frank Lampard he's won more than you yeah he won it for Chelsea like, why are you celebrating Chelsea's trophies for Chelsea um, off the back of the stolen wealth of a country <laughs> so well done well done Frank but yeah just for his general demeanour everything about him the, the whole human VAR thing dragging Jodie Morris along with him uh, he just gets worse and worse with every passing interaction we have with him I'd like to uh, chuck Scott Minto into the hat he's been quite favourable about Leeds most of this season but saying in his little uh, post-match video that he puts on social that he hopes Derby can bounce back don't know what he thinks he's doing dropping his impartiality like that we like to be very fair-minded and even-handed on this podcast, and it's disgusting to hear that. You don't catch Tony Dorigo banging on about how he hopes Derby County bounce back to beat Leeds. He's very fair-minded to all his former clubs. I've not seen much from him saying, cheering Derby on. He knows where which side of the bread the butter goes. <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm just saying I'm sure I'll come back next week uh, outraged at uh, Tony DeRico's support for Derby County when I've looked at his Twitter properly mind you he doesn't hold a candle to Darren Bent and his stupidity does he <laughs> for anyone who missed it Darren Bent's stance on the penalty was that he didn't think it was a penalty but he thought it should have been a penalty because the ref had given a penalty initially and then when someone told said that's not a penalty he should have said well given it now Anna <laughs> So I'm just going to stick by this wrong decision, even though I could very easily change it in this instant. Darren Bent managed to make Keith Andrews look wise. (laughs) And Keith Andrews was dressed as Hugh fucking Hefner. So it was quite an achievement. (laughs) Surprising to not have to nominate Keith Andrews here, actually. 
You'd think he was... Do we nominate him for that jacket? It was like watching an episode of, like, Saved by the Bell, where Screech is given, like, a million and goes out and gets himself loads of really fancy jackets. As far as he wasn't smoking a cigarette through a holder or something. I met Screech. Did you? I did. He's a nice guy. He's a really nice guy. Nicer than Keith Andrews? I mean, I've not met Keith Andrews, so I'm only going off their TV appearances and I always sort of preferred Screech because he's just a lovable schoolboy, whereas I think Keith Andrews is just pretending to be one. Sky as a whole, actually, for setting up a panel with uh, Scott Minto as the anchor who played with Frank Lampard at West Ham. Ex-Chelsea player as well. Ex-Chelsea, of course, yeah. Um, Alongside Darren Bent, ex-Derby. And Keith Andrews with a, a long, proud history of being a Elite 18 bastard. So the three of them. And then on co-coms, obviously, um, you had the completely impartial Danny Higginbotham played for Scum to begin mm-hmm. with before moving to Derby, where he, had, where he had a few years. Later on, Sheffield United as well, just to, just to complete the set, not to mention Gibraltar. Oh, his champ at Gibraltar was, uh, was what, he's, what he's known for, really. But yeah, I mean, you, there's no bias there, I don't think. Well, there's no Leeds players. Uh, just a quick update on Screech. I was talking about him before, uh, saying he was a nice guy. Just for the record, I wanted to state that on uh, on Boxing Day 2014, he was arrested uh, in Wisconsin for possession of a switchblade knife, which he was alleged to have pulled during a bar altercation in which a man was stabbed. Uh, and then the following year, he was convicted of two misdemeanors for carrying a concealed weapon and disorderly conduct, uh, served four months in prison. Any of those a worse offence than Keith Andrews' jacket? Probably not. He deserves to be incarcerated for that, doesn't he? Should we pick a, uh, a winner? I think for the sheer stupidity of his comments, Darren Bent is maybe deserving of it, just for the way he's clearly not thought through what he's saying, as it's as the words are just spilling out of his mouth, and even he must be thinking, this isn't really making any sense, is it? But he sticks with it. Should we allow him to share it with Sky's panel of lead-hating bastards that they put together? He can he can take it on behalf of the crew. Mm, that's, that seems fair. I'm happy with that. Even though Keats um, decided to back the decision not to give the penalty against every bone in his body saying, no, Keith, no. I reckon someone's got his family and he was forced to say that. Not that Leeds fans would do that because we're a good bunch. (laughs) So on that balance of probabilities, are we going to include him in this and just give it to the Sky Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he'll disgrace himself on Wednesday anyway, I'm sure. Absolutely. All right, congratulations, Sky TV. I'm sure you may hear a few songs about your product in the forthcoming weeks and months. Uh, Let's move on to pick ourselves a hero now, an Andy Hughes Hero of the Week. Uh, somebody who symbolises all that is good and great about our club. I think Kimar Roof deserves a nomination because he was, he was good, wasn't he, for a, the short time we had together? We made such memories. He's now gone off to have the remaining remnants of Jamal Blackman stitched into him uh, for the, in, to make him fit for the playoff final. Not been sighted since, has he, Jamal? Nope. Better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all. What's left of him could be buried in a Tupperware box, I believe. There's, there's really very little of him left. I think another another star from the Derby game. Similarly, we should nominate uh, Jamie Shackleton, who came on, was showed absolutely no nerves, was was wonderful, and uh, similarly will probably be um, have his career ended in the second leg. Jack Harrison, unlikely hero for the late season for that ball, taking out at least five, if not ten men, and he's never been as bad as people make out. He's not been great. He's not been Daniel James. I think has been most of the problem for the last three months, but he's been all right. It's not his first uh, contribution of 2019, and it might not be his last unless he also gets injured in the second leg. Click as well. He deserves another nomination. That's three on the bounce now, just for his general, his general shit housery against the opposition. He's good, good at that. It's his one of his who scored dot com very strong column. Yes. Shit housery. Him and Alioski, we can just nominate them pretty much every week because they're bound to be up to something. Those two going around in their mad camper van with a dog solving mysteries. That's um, their summer plans. And once again showed in this as well, his perfect 
what the fuck did I do face after he's just done something? He's got he's got that down to an absolute T. He's, he's got a real genuine look to him when he does it, which I think he's, he's keeping him on the pitch. Is Alioski the first uh, feral professional footballer? I always thought Diego Costa had a slight stick of the dump, heavy brow to him. Um, if we take it back, I mean, Brian Kilcline played at a very high level. <laughs> he had gorgeous hair though, did Brian Kilcline. Yeah, and there was a few... Uh, there was a few of his ilk knocking around in the in the 1980s. I think there's probably a time when there were more feral footballers than humans. Alioski is a charming throwback in that regard and better styled than any of them. Nice trainers as well. His trainers deserve him a nomination for villainy, actually, which we forgot. And also his pose, because the, the photograph when all the injured or suspended players were, were in the dugout together, um, he was the one, he kind of held his jacket open as if he was in the Littlewoods catalogue, um, just a little male model pose because you must have just sensed that there was a camera nearby. Littlewoods catalogue, that's brought back some memories, hasn't it, that? Uh, who was the ref against Derby? Some knobhead. I mean, they're all knobheads. I know he was I good. He I he was a hero. Do you know what? Not necessarily a hero, but I think you can forgive the mistakes on like the Derby red cards because he was just generally sensible all round and it, we've had far too few of them. Yeah, not too bad. And, and in fairness, by booking Klitsch, he sort of saved him from being cited by the FA and then banned for which a couple of games. Which, we, which means as well that Click can now do more of it in the second leg. <laughs> which goes to show the, the stupidity of that rule, that if you've if the ref has seen something but seen it wrong, you can't take ret- retrospective action, whereas if he's missed it, then you can. It just doesn't really make any sense. Quick nod as well for that ball boy in the Liverpool game who uh, has shown that Leeds still has an influence on the Champions League semi-finals, the one who placed the ball for Trent Alexander-Arnold. He's one of ours, isn't he? Yeah, James Milner was not acting alone at Anfield that night. Uh, Lucy Ward uh, spotted him when he was named in one of the reports. Um, it's not the name you'd forget, I suppose, if you'd been in, in your academy. Oakley Kananinia. Kananinia. <laughs> That's an incredible name. Is that real or made up? It's like, it's like, you know, when when football manager starts making players' names up. Oakley Kananinia. There he is. Um, Sounds like he's someone Pat Bamford would have gone to boarding school with. More love for Bielsa as well via Phil Hayes' tweet, you know, in which he offered Marcelo Bielsa a lift when it was absolutely tipping it down when he was walking from Thorpe Arch. And how spiritual is this? You can almost imagine it in a movie, can't you? Phil in his, what does Phil drive? Let's have a thing. It's going to be a sports car, isn't it? His little uh, drop-top MG. Yeah, Phil pulls up in his in his drop-top MG. Uh, yeah, so he pulls up to the curb, rain-spattered window, just puts it down. Say, Marcelo, do you want a lift? No. Thank you. I like this. Beautiful moment. You see the story... Roll uh, credits. The story with his brother this week, talking about when um, Bielsa was the manager of Velez and they won the Clasora title and he was presented with a, a, a glass boot by the journalists. And our uh, friend, I forget his name now, but there's a good Argentinian fellow who is translating lots of old video clips of Bielsa. So when Bielsa was uh, given this boot, he dedicated uh, the title and the award to his brother. And then years later, his brother is interviewed on TV and they showed him this clip. And he said, well, the thing with this is, is I can't watch that clip anymore because he said about six months later, one in the morning, I was working at home and I got a phone call from my brother. And he says, uh, as you know, I dedicated the the league championship to you four months ago. And he says, yes, Marcelo, it meant everything to me. That was wonderful. Thank you for that, Jess. He said, I shouldn't have done it. It was a mistake. And he lists three reasons why it was a mistake. Uh, one, that he did it publicly and that a gesture like that should have been made in private. Two, uh, that um, he hadn't consulted with the players to see if they were all right. They were the ones who won the title 
and uh, and he hadn't asked them if it was okay to dedicate it to to his brother. Um, and three that you should never show emotion in front of journalists because they will they will end up using it against you. And he's like, are you gonna are you gonna try and take this back from me? He's like, no, I'm just telling you. I just phoned you at one in the morning to tell you I made a terrible mistake. And he'd been stewing on it every night for four months. Wonderful. <laughs> he is brilliant. Right? Should we pick ourselves a winner? Well, we've missed as a contrast to uh, to that wonder Heckingbottom. Because we did mention him threatening to, uh, well, saying he would have knocked the fourth official's teeth out if he'd spoken to him the way he did in any other... He's gone uh, all sort of Begbie north of the border, hasn't he? He said he was half joking about that, or he was half jovial. This week, at the weekend, um, he interrupted an, an interview with Kilmarnock's Alex Bruce. Yes, that Alex Bruce, to shout at him that he was a fucking diver. And apparently he repeated this a few times and they had a bit of a row in front of the assembled press. And then Alex Bruce said to them, he says, that lacks class. And they, they were teammates briefly at Sheffield Wednesday and it was all kicking off. But then um, uh, Hackingbottom in his own interview then clarified his comments saying, yeah, we know each other well. I know him. He knows me. You can interpret that how you want. <laughs> I don't think he has dived. You can see that. I don't know if he's just discovered all the, the whiskey and book fast that Edinburgh has to offer up there his first time out of Barnsley for a very, very long time. We're celebrating Click and Alioski's uh, absolute insanity. I think Heckingbottom might be losing his grip. Right, let's pick ourselves a winner then, please, Hero. Who, who's been floating your boat most? I think Shackleton, just because I think he changed that game. Yeah, we can't give it to Roof because Pat might get upset and we need to keep him, keep him feeling positive for the next few weeks. And yeah, Shackleton was uh, like a little, like he'd been wound up all season and suddenly like a clockwork mouse, let him go. And uh, he, if we imagine that Frank Lampard was the mother in the Tom and Jerry cartoons, trying to whack him with a broom. And and Forshaw's a scouser, so even though he's he's not won this award, he'll probably think he has won it in the hearts of other people. <laughs> You've just seen Jurgen Klopp's tweets, haven't you? About how uh, Liverpool may not have won the league title, but they've won the hearts of the country. <laughs> Is it too late to nominate a villain? <laughs> that may be the opinion in Liverpool. It's always the opinion in Liverpool. But that's beside the point. Yes, Jamie Shackleton is the hero. Guess who we're playing this week, lads? Can you guess? <laughs> it's Frank Lampard involved. He is. It's his club, Derby County. To give him uh. their full Sunday name, Frank Lampard's Derby County. Second leg of the playoff semi-final. And uh, the second step towards a two-step journey to Wembley? Um, I think it's a, it's a game that we're going to win easily. If that's what you mean. That's big talk, Moscow. Talk to oh, me why. Why? Gonna be, we'll look at them. Look at us, look at them. Ashley Cole might be back. <sighs> I mean, I'd love to see Jack Clark going around Ashley Cole. It would be a wonderful thing. Even Jack Harrison, I don't think we'd have a problem with, with Adrian Mutu's going to be on the bench. It's not really, I'm just listing all Chelsea players. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Richard Keogh's had a word though, and he said, well, actually it was a completely benign, uh, empty interview, but the headline that came screaming out of it was it's not over yet and yes. all he'd said was yeah we're just halfway through a two-legged game and uh, sounding a warning to Leeds <laughs> no he didn't it's just literally true isn't it it's yeah. not over yet yeah. Yeah. yeah it's not there's another 90 minutes to go if not you know it might be extra time as well we should uh, maybe have had him in the villains actually just for the the clip of him when he was leaving the pitch with drool coming from his mouth like he was an infected dog who needed to be needed to be put down and that whole thing of him uh, trying to protect the referee from Liam Cooper by just randomly punching the air in front of him he's a weird weird fellow and this is what I mean you compare Richard Keogh to Berardi like who is the better footballer who's the better person who is the more handsome who would you trust to get you through to Wembley I thought you were going to say pregnant then indeed I, I mean I'm now having terrible visions of Congress with Richard Keogh. 
those turn out the lights, darling. Oh. I have turned out the lights. Oh, it's your eyes. <laughs> well, when he described Keo, searchlights, like Keo's been like sign. <laughs> when he described Keo as being like a rabid dog, I had visions of Alioski trying to hump him. So kept him to myself until this moment. Back to the topic at hand, though. Cutting through all the bullshit. Do you think like we've got the psychological upper hand now? We've beaten them three times. They've barely had. Have they had a shot in the last two games? I know they scored in the first game. Although I, I seem to remember the, from the first game, their shot was a, was it a free kick? It came out of nowhere anyway. Something like that. They basically have created no chances against it in three games. The goal in the first game was that free kick that Bailey Peacock Farrell let in. I'm sure Bosco has made a comprehensive set of video clips and highlights to make illustrate this fact that he's posted on the internet mm-hmm. about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Do you think psychologically we've got them beaten? I mean, we can't know, we can only guess, we can speculate, but what do you think? We have to be able to beat them just once more. I mean, if this is all that stands between us and Wembley... You say, is you've got to beat the team that you've beaten three times already. And as I said right at the start of this, what we established in the first leg was that we're not as fragile and as uh, we're not going to immediately fall apart the way we feared after the Wigan-Brentford-Ipswich games. They talked about it last season under Hackingbottom. And when I, this is not a plug, but when I interviewed Pontus Janssen for 442, he was talking about that last season and saying he finds it difficult to play in a game when things aren't at stake. He says that the Reading match, when we won, we were 3-0 up after half an hour, he says that the, the next hour of that game, so he found it really difficult to play because there's, there's nothing at stake, there's nothing on it, there's no reason to do it. And he said his, uh, his brother talks for him, uh, his brother was a professional footballer as well, and he says that you play better when there's something on the line. Pontus wasn't in that the game on uh, Saturday, but I think it's true for all of them. When it counts, when it matters, the West Brom game at home, Derby at home when there was all the Spygate stuff going off. We're going home, season. you know. <laughs> well, those Sheffield ones, United at home. <laughs> in well, fairness, we beat them away. We were better than Sheffield United for long stretches we of that game. We were. Yeah, so we we step up and the, the style of play, Lampard has had uh, three goals now to try and come up with a way of... Uh, of not losing to to Marcelo Bielsa. And he can't fucking do it because he's a novice at this level. He can throw his weight around all he wants and he can be all like, oh yeah, we do analysis too and all this kind of stuff. He doesn't know what he's doing. He can't work out how to stop Bielsa's leads. And so it'll be fine. I agree with you based on the evidence we've seen so far. I'm not fearful of this game. Not, I'm not going to say at all because we've always got the capability of totally leading it in, but it just feels deep down, it feels like we've got the psychological plan, which is why I keep labouring the point. But my, my derby mate texted me before the first leg and said, I think you've got us beat here over mm. two legs. I just, it just feels like they don't expect to beat us. And we've got our, uh, speaking of psychological advantages, we've got a lucky talisman coming because uh, Habib Habibu says he's going to be coming to the stadium. So that's he's the guy we need. His little arm around Pat Bamford before the game. Give him some pointers. He'll be in the Legends Lounge, won't he? In the uh, in the East Stand, regaling corporate guests with his tales of playing for that great Leeds United side. Throwing of ducks. and Whoever was in charge at that time. Another one of the many uh, Warnock highlights, I believe, wasn't it? Happy Boo. It's uh, very strange how he's become such a fan of ours. It's, it's kind of sweet in a way. Once you go Leeds, you never go back. He was certainly never good enough to play for us, but as a supporter, maybe maybe that's fine. Well, he is our lucky talisman for the game on Wednesday and let's put balls on the line then. I think we've got this one again, Moscow. I think so too. I mean, I was just going to say on lucky talismans, they're desperate, which is Frank Lampard Jr.'s own words to get Martin Waghorn back. Um, said he was brilliant before his injury, but him being unavailable, Lampard said, it's it's something we 
We can't cry about. It's the only thing you can't cry about. Cries about everything else, doesn't he? Ha ha. I think, he, I think he's mentioned that because of the song and he's got it in his head and he said he's not bothered about it, but then he's got crying, 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 crying. It's all he's heard and he's going, we can't cry about it. <laughs> Shit, I've said it. <laughs> uh, Michael, what about you then? Have we got this one? <sighs> You've been the hardest to get on I board. Have, no, I have. Yeah. I have, but I actually... Th- Darby are really shit from what I've seen of them. It's hard to, it's hard for even me to justify a reason for them beating us. Have you considered that we might be actually really good? No, I think we are good. I don't think we're going to go up still because <laughs> I, I can't allow myself to, but I think we might beat Derby. But also consider this for, for sixth place, wasn't it between, it was Derby, Middles- Middlesbrough, uh, Bristol. Bristol City and Preston were, were in there as well. So that's the calibre of team who we were going for fifth. So we get Derby out of the way and it's just the good teams left. What do we need to do on Wednesday to safely navigate this tie? Obviously, avoid defeat, beat them, but how do you think the game needs to pan out? We score goals. Let's not concede any. Early goal? Early goal would be lovely, wouldn't it? Just put it to bed. We don't need this. We'll save. I think Wembley is going to be dramatic, possibly traumatic, possibly the most exhilarating experience ever. We need to save it all for that. We just need a... A repeat of the the West Brom game with a 16-second opener, because that then would, went on to be one of the best atmospheres Ellen Road for years. So if we can just have a goal in the first minute and then 90 minutes of uh, just trying to make Frank Lampard cry, that would be amazing by shouting at him. That, that would be the perfect Wednesday. Well, we will be back with another episode of the Square Ball podcast after the semi-final of the playoffs, second leg. Hopefully looking forward to a, a trip to Wembley. We'll see. The last copies, last couple of hundred copies of issue 10 of the fanzine on sale against Derby as well. So do grab those quickly if you are heading to the match. Uh, Links to that and the merchandise as well, all on our website. And please, if you like what we do here and you want to support this podcast, please do subscribe to the Extra Ball bonus content every single week. And it's a stable mate to this podcast because we want to do more and you will help us go towards that. So subscribe, please, at thesquareball.net. Is this the last game of the season? Is this the last match we're previewing or do we go to Wembley? Do we go to Wembley? Is it a bad sign that Doris Day has died? Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. She fucking hated Chelsea. That's one thing. But we're going to Wembley. Yes, I think we will we'll do it for Doris. I hope so. I, I think, yeah, like I say, I can't see a reason we won't beat Derby. But I can't see a reason I won't be in tears in a couple of weeks' time. The Square Ball Podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.